Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 81 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by Mr. Ayers Sumra. Ayers, how are you doing? I'm good Joey, how are you? Very good my friend, very good. So this is number 81, it's, uh, it's another show. This one is going to be not slightly different, it's going to be the same as per usual to be honest. But what we're going to do is we're going to do part one, the review part. Then we're going to go to the first guest. Then just as we start part two... We go to the news. There's not too much to talk about in the news, but we're going to discuss the heavyweight division. Just briefly, we're going to discuss the whole Joshua situation, who we think he should fight next, and blah, blah, blah. So there's going to be a little segment there. So it's going to be review, interview, uh, news, Joshua segment, preview, then, of course, the final second guest of the show. So we're going to dive straight into part one, part one being the review part, as I just said. Um, We're going to start with a card that took place last Tuesday, actually. We should have mentioned it on last week's show, but it's just one fight to mention on this bill. Charles Martin moved to 24 career wins. Of course, he's got the one loss to Anthony Joshua, and of course, the one draw. Uh, He picked up a TKO victory in round two over Byron Polly. He's uh, you know, he's got a winning record, but he's been in there with a few guys and been stopped. I think Luis Ortiz took him out in a round, so you know, he's been stopped a number of times. Charles Martin did what he expected to do. One thing I will touch on, Charles Martin, who you know, many people kind of think he went a bit weird, he went a bit crazy, whatever, in the time that he was out of boxing. Some people thought he wouldn't even fight again. He was actually lighter than he was for the Joshua fight, so I don't know, you know, wrap your head around that one, but it is what it is. We thought we'd give it a mention there. Moving over now to another bill. This one was last weekend, obviously, in Bulgaria, this one. Kubrat Pulev topped the bill against Kevin Kingpin Johnson. Kevin Johnson, he went on a bit of a hiatus after being knocked out by Anthony Joshua. He's back. He had another big fight here in Europe once again. Um, Kubrat Pulev picked up the win, but I tell you what, I didn't watch it. It was for the WBA Intercontinental Heavyweight title. Um, As I said, I didn't watch it, but he didn't get him out of there. And I think I might have said it on last week's show that he probably won't get him out of there. But I was hoping I was wrong. Um, Because, you know, Pulev really should be getting Kevin Johnson out of there. I think Pulev is really in the top three or four heavyweights in the world in my opinion, so, uh, you know, I just don't think he's the biggest puncher, like Kevin Johnson's obviously got a decent chin, but yeah, not very impressive looking at that win on paper there, but Kubrat Pulev now 25-1, and one. Kevin Johnson 30-8 and eight with one draw, that's it for Bulgaria, moving over now to a bill that took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, one fight to mention on this bill, Tevin Farmer, he moved to 25 career wins inside 30 fights with a unanimous decision win over 10 rounds at Super Featherweight against Arturo Santos Reyes, who had a record of 19-7, and 7, now 19-8. And, and the final bill to mention of last week, it was 
Um, well, it was a big weekend for boxing, especially in Britain, but it wasn't too much going on elsewhere. And to be completely honest, in terms of number of fights, there wasn't too much going on in Wembley either. Um, obviously, there were 90,000 people in attendance. We were supposed to get seven fights on the bill. For whatever reason, it ended up only being five fights. I think they ran out of time, which was quite crazy, because when there was only seven fights, that's not a huge bill. Uh, some people were quite annoyed about that. You know about about the fact that you know there were Olympians on the bill that have only had one or two fights or you know things like that and they were really filling up the bill. But at least it was a little bit extra bang for your buck, even if it is a bit you know lower level kind of fights at this stage of their careers. But we didn't even get that. It only had five fights on the bill out of seven. We missed the Lawrence Okoli fight that was supposed to happen. He didn't end up fighting, and also Josh Kelly, who I actually kind of plan to get him on this week's show but he didn't fight so we didn't bother giving him a ring but hopefully we get him on soon um yeah but anyway we got joe caldina he picked up a tko in round one so he moves to 2-0 and now with two knockouts he picked up a win over sergei vib who had a record of seven and seven he wasn't in the best shape um you know joe caldina really it, it was a, it was one of those fights it was completely one-sided he looked absolutely terrified the opponent vib i can't remember which country he was from he was absolutely terrified in the corner at the start of the fight you just knew in his face this fight's not going long and it didn't even get through the first round so you know a, a, a good win i suppose but not a great fight and you know it shouldn't it shouldn't really be a fight on pay-per-view in my honest opinion but that's not knocking joe caldino whatsoever you know the guy's really talented i'd just like to see him you know make his few first fights on cards where you don't have to really pay to watch it if you if you put it into perspective this card had five fights the uh the pay-per-view was 20 pound that's four pound per fight that fight didn't even get out the first round, as I say. So uh, it is what it is anyway. Moving up the undercard, Katie Taylor. She moved to 5-0. and She took on her first unbeaten opponent, I believe. Uh, her opponent, Nina Minky. Uh, I think I'm saying that name wrong. But she was 5-0. and She's now lost her O. She was knocked out or TKO'd in round 7. It was obviously scheduled for 10 two-minute rounds. Um, Minky was also cut on the eye or just above the eye uh, to be specific but no another decent win there for Katie Taylor but it was quite interesting because um, the other lady came to give it a go she really did and for the first time we've kind of seen Katie Taylor have to really think what she's doing in there so that was you know that was pretty good to see um, moving up the undercard once again Luke Campbell moved to 17 wins of course the one loss as well he took on Darlis Perez former world champion 33-2 and two with two draws now 33-3 and three. Perez started really well in this fight Ayaz um, I thought that it was a good fight when it got made I thought that Luke Campbell I don't want to say he's a hype job but he won the gold he turned pro he got beat by Mendy and I've heard lots of excuses. Some people say he shouldn't have been anywhere near a ring that night, but it's not good enough. He still lost the fight in the fashion that he lost the fight. It was very clear. And then to to get straight in there with Darlis Perez, who we know, you know, he's a former world champion, but he's not the greatest. Crawler stopped him. Um, I thought it was a decent fight in terms of levels at this point for Luke Campbell. And straight away in the first few rounds, I thought, oh boy, oh boy. Yet again, he's, you know, he's he could probably lose this fight he was the second best for uh, pretty much the first half of the fight he only went nine rounds but he managed to uh you know i suppose the uh, maybe the fitness levels um 
kind of kicked in and, and uh, Darlis Perez kind of tired down the stretch. Luke Campbell did warm into it. I think maybe he could be turning into a bit of a slow starter, but ultimately he did get him out of there in round nine. So a TKO win there for Luke Campbell. Um, Ayaz, I'm going to go over to you. Did you watch the Luke Campbell fight? If so, were you impressed at all? I tell you something. I was. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed with Luke Campbell. Now I tell you something. Why? Because first, when he fought Mendy on the Dillian White, um, Anthony Joshua undercard, he lost that fight. Since then, he has come back and fought two very good fighters. Obviously, Dallas Perez. We've seen him fight against Andy Crowley. Anthony Crowley dropped him for the WBA World Champion. Now, Leno- um, Luke Campbell's beaten him. Luke Campbell's a very good, talented fighter. But now he's mandatory to face. Uh, he's mandatory for Jorge Leno's WBA belt. Now that fight, in my opinion, it's a very, very tough fight. I reckon for him. This is because Lenares is a very good fighter, and I can see Lenares outschooling Luke Campbell. Yeah, I would even probably go far enough to say he might even stop Luke Campbell. I hope I'm wrong. You know, I really do. I I, I actually think Luke Campbell's quite all right. I really do. I want him to do well, but. I don't know, he's just he's been a bit slow starting now. When you think about it, he he turned pro pretty much the same time as Joshua. And I know jo- Joshua's been quite fast tracked. He's he's nineteen and oh at the moment. He's you know, we're gonna get onto his fight in a minute. He's now nineteen and oh, of course. Uh, you, you should probably know what happened in that fight if you're listening already. But um yeah, you know, Luke Campbell's had eighteen fights, Joshua's had uh, had 19 fights, but Luke Campbell, the 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 position he's in, the the place he's in, you know, he's as you say there, he's mandatory for the WBA, which I completely forgot actually. So I'm glad that you brought that up. But you know, he, he's just he hasn't really done anything yet, has he? He hasn't won a British title. He's gone for these international belts. You know, they get you kind of fast tracked in the rankings. When he stepped up in level, he lost, and the other day. He wasn't looking good, but then he turned it around. So I guess we're going to give him a bit of credit there. But yeah, if he takes on Linares, I, I really don't give him any chance in that. But I hope that he was, you know, if he could pull up, pull off the upset, wow, oh wow, he's going on to stardom. But I do want to see him do well. But we'll leave that there. Luke Campbell now 17-1. and one. Dalis Perez 33-3 and three with two draws. Um... Moving up the undercard once again, the final fight of the undercard. Scott Quigg, 32-1 and one, with two draws, took on Viriel Simeon, 21-1. and one. Um, Scott Quigg, I was a little bit surprised, I asked, that he brought over Freddie Roach. I know that he's now training him, but I didn't actually think that he was going to bring... Uh, I didn't think he was going to come out. I thought that Freddie Roach was going to probably be a little bit too busy with uh, you know whatever he's got going on stateside, but... No, it was good to see Freddie Roach over here. That was that was good. He seemed to kind of take it in. It was a huge, huge week. That every event that surrounded it was massive, and um, yeah, Scott Quigg. It was a bit of a war, to be honest, guys, wasn't it? You know, the Simeon guy. I didn't really give him much credit going in. I thought that Scott Quigg's going to probably knock him out pretty easy. Simeon, obviously, you know, he lost pretty handily to Lee Selby and he drew with a complete journeyman in his last fight or not drew he, he lost just by just by it was a really close fight he just about lost oh sorry just about won the fight sorry um so I didn't really think he was coming in with any good form I thought that he was going to probably lose to Scott Quigg who's eager to impress eager to bounce back from the loss to Frampton in some ways you know it was a big stage he's got the new trainer I thought he was going to try and be pretty impressive but I think he did try to be pretty impressive, but it just didn't work for him. I think, you know, the other guy was 
a lot more game than I would have thought he would have been going into the fight. And he proved me wrong a little bit. He can seriously fight. And Scott Quigg was, you know, he was made to think about things a lot in that fight as well. It turned out to be a little bit of a war. It was the best fight on the card, but it did drag a little bit. But, um, yeah, not so impressive that win for me, for Scott Quigg there. But nonetheless, he gets the job done. Anything to add on that one, I ask? Scott Quigg and Simeon? The thing with Scott Quigg, we see him fight Jose, uh, when he fought Jose Cayetano on the Joshua Molina fight. He, he performed very well. But I've seen a difference with him in Freddie Rich. I'm not quite sure his but I've seen a bit of a difference. But the thing is, this guy, I think Scott Quigg should have knocked him out. I don't know, something was lacking with Scott Quigg that very night. I've, Scott Quick did land some very good shot and trust me it was, this fight was very good for me it was very interesting because it looked a little war but I think Scott Quick should knock them out and to be honest now he's now he's mandatory for Lee Selby when, if that, when that fight happens Josh uh, Quick versus Selby I'm going to tell you one thing Selby is very skillful I know he may not have a knockout a very high knockout percentage but I'll tell you something he's going to skill him out skill him box him Scott Quick I now reckon Lee Selby will beat Scott Quick if I had to pick who I'd want to win, I think it's pretty clear that I'd want Lee Selby to win. You know, we've had him on the show a bunch of times. We love the Selbys on this show. But, um, yeah, I think we've got to take into account Simeon's only got the one loss. He hasn't been stopped in his pro career. Maybe he's got a decent chin. Um, you know, Scott Quigg just, as I say, wasn't overly impressive. But, yeah, when he fights, or if he fights Lee Selby, hopefully we do see that. Lee Selby tweeted during the fight saying, hashtag easy work, which was obviously an indirect at at Scott Quigg. Um, yeah, I think size is a big part in that. I think Lee Selby's huge at the weight. I think, obviously, Scott Quigg... Scott Quigg's not not small at the weight, but we've got to remember he was making super bantam not too long ago. Now he's up at featherweight. It's, you know, I think size may be a factor there, but I think, yeah, that's a great fight. That is actually a fight I'd really like to see. I think um, Scott Quigg needs some kind of way to get back at title contention. But um, I'm not sure he'll be able to beat Lee Selby. But it's a great, great fight for sure. Moving up to the main event now. And I will just say Scott Quigg now 33-1 and with two draws. Virial Simeon 21-2. and Moving up to the main event now. The big one. Anthony Joshua 18-0. and Putting his IBF World Heavyweight title on the line. Also the WBA Super Heavyweight title. And the IBO World Heavyweight title. Both at stake as well. Vladimir Klitschko in the other corner, 64-4, and four, huge experience on his side. Well, as we got to be honest, it was a really good heavyweight fight. We don't get to say that too much, especially at the top level. Um, the best heavyweight fight I can think of at the top of my head in recent times would have probably been uh, Dillian White and Derek Chisora. That was a great heavyweight fight. But I can't really think of any others at the moment, just to fresh off the top of my head, that was better than this fight. It was a very entertaining fight. Um, you know, Joshua answered a lot of questions, I suppose, in some ways. I'm going to get onto my thoughts, and I've got some strong thoughts as well. So some people may be a little bit offended, but you know how it is. We be completely straight down the line, and we are we are very honest on this show. So I'm going to go over to you, Ayaz. Give your thoughts on the main event at Wembley in front of 90,000 people, and um, I'll, I'll say my piece on the fight afterwards. Wow, what a fight this was. I haven't seen a heavyweight fight for the last three years as good as this one. We've seen Klitschko fight David Hay, Klitschko outscored him. We've seen Fury. Fury beat him, Klitschko, nicely. But this fight, it was a very good fight because this was a step up. This was a huge step up for Joshua. Now, in the first two rounds, you see Joshua going for the early knockout. You can see that easily going for the knockout. And obviously, he was landing. 
that Klitschko jab was obviously hurting him. I can see from round one, I gave round one, round two to Joshua, round three to Klitschko, round four to Klitschko, and then Joshua, um, um, Joshua drops him in round five. And then round six, Klitschko right hand, throws the right hand and drops to Joshua. And Joshua was gone, in my opinion. I think Joshua was absolutely gone. You can see by his face. It's like he didn't have the energy to fight him. Round six and seven, I thought Klitschko, if Klitschko was a bit younger, just say he was like um, 37, uh, 38, 6 year, I reckon Klitschko would knock him out. That's one thing, yeah. And obviously... That that's in the uh, round seven or round eight. If he was if he was much younger, like 37, 38, Joshua would have been gone. And also another reason that Klitschko couldn't knock him out was because he's been inactive since November 2015. Since that loss to Tyson Fury, he's been out of the ring since then. And the thing is, after round eight, round nine, round ten, Joshua came out landing some huge like uppercuts um, and various punches. And in round eleven. Joshua dropped him, Klitschko got back up. Joshua dropped him, Klitschko got back up. Joshua's thin right hands, Klitschko's obviously um, not throwing nothing. But I-, I can tell you something for a fact, I think that fight should have not got stopped. Yeah, some people are, you know, split down the middle on should the stoppage have come at that point. Initially, I thought that the stoppage was... Uh, I don't really know, you know. I think uh, at first I didn't really react like it was a bad stoppage, but I completely have not watched the fight back at all. I need to watch the fight back, um, but you know my judgment doesn't really make up for much. But no, I just thought that you know we we've we've not known if Joshua can take a punch, if Joshua's got a good chin. We've seen now that he took a great punch, he got back up, he showed the heart. Of a champion, he showed the grit and determination of a champion. There, we've seen him go to the trenches as well in that fight. Which, again, all these questions were unanswered going in. Um, also, as I say, I looked at Joshua's eyes, and Joshua's eyes when he got knocked down, I wasn't sure he was going to get back up. He looked like, you know, possibly he he was staring at a loss and the end of everything. The whole empire would be crumbling, and he looked at that, and I think, you know, that made him get back up and. That he showed a lot of heart. He showed a lot of heart. He can clearly take quite a few shots. He's cle- he's clearly got a decent chin. Uh, we have to bear in mind that Vlad is forty one, but they say power leaves you the, the you know it's the last thing to leave you when you when you're fighting. Um, so yeah, I give Joshua a lot of credit because he showed the heart. I give him a lot of credit because he mixed it up as well. You know, he, he went to the trenches as I said. He threw. I've criticised Joshua before for just throwing the same shots, the straight shots all the time, one, two, one, two, all the time, um, you know, head shots, not going down to the body. He he did mix it up. He went down to the body. He threw, you know, a load of uppercuts. And we've never really seen him move his head. I've knocked him on that as well, said that his movement's not good. He just stands in front of you. Some parts he was like that. I don't think his legs are the best, Anthony Joshua. But Vladimir kept loading up with that left hook, which we've seen him hurt a load of people with over the years, namely um, Kubrat Pulev. You know, he he got caught with that more times than I than I can count. And you know, he did a great job, Joshua, of ducking under that. And I was really impressed with his defensive moves. I got to be honest. I don't think he takes shots so well. I don't think he's even though he had the high guard up for the first few rounds, you could see his right hand was high. He was waiting for that left hook to come in, and Vladimir just you know happily obliged to and just started jabbing. So yeah, I, I want to go back to your scoring of your eyes. Um, did you say that 
what, what was how did you have it after the you gave the first round to Joshua you say yeah and yes I gave the first two rounds to Joshua okay and the third round to Vlad yes how did you what I'll ask you then um, if you scored it past you know if you scored it right up to the 11th round who did you have winning at the time of the stoppage do you do you know or did you score it that far I didn't score it that far but from the seventh round, eighth round, I had Klitschko winning by one round. Right, and so that was in the eighth. You had him by one. Yes. Right, I see. Yeah, because my gut feeling—I wasn't scoring it, but my gut feeling in that eleventh round was that Klitschko was winning the fight. Um, some people have been knocking Tony Bellew about his his scorecards, you know, especially for the—I uh, think it was the Murray and Rosado fight. They were saying that you know his scorecard was a joke. I can't remember it, but it was something. He's been knocked anyway for for favouring the, the you know the Sky Fighters, but he actually had Vladimir one point up going into that eleventh. And I think most people ringside did. I think they said that HBO did. Um, Showtime might have had him up. It, it was one of those guys. Sky obviously had him up. I think the Germans, uh, RTL, they had him up by two. No one was giving that. You know, was no one had it to to Joshua in that going into that eleventh round. So the scorecards, which obviously you know you can't score round eleven because the round hadn't hadn't ended yet the scorecards going into the 11th were absolutely disgraceful they really really were namely Don Trella um, the man actually had it 96 to 93 so three points in favor of Joshua which I think is absolutely crazy that is ridiculous scoring it really is that is shocking um, also one judge had it to Vladimir I think it was by one point and the other judge uh, which obviously that's one apiece now, so that's you know like a that's that's a split decision sort of thing, and then just to make up for it, the other judge, which was Nelson Vasquez, he actually had Joshua up by two points. So I'm not sure what fight they were watching. It was horrible to think that no matter what, he was actually going to get robbed on the scorecards, Vlad. But I will say I gave Joshua a bit of credit. Now is time for the critical part of what I'm saying here. Anybody who thinks Joshua's win last weekend over Vladimir Klitschko is better or bigger than Tyson Fury's win in November 2015, you really need to, you know, to, to think. I'm gonna I'm gonna break it down for you. If you don't agree with me, just listen to what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna break it down here. Um, let's not forget, Vladimir is now 41, and he was coming off of an 18-month layoff, or a 17-month layoff to be more precise. Joshua was losing at the time of the stoppage. Anyone will tell you that with eyes, including Sky. Whether they're biased or not, they they had it fair, so you cannot knock Sky. Um, Fury went over to Germany and fought Vlad in his backyard as a challenger, Vlad was the champion. Vlad hadn't lost in 11 years. Fury was also the underdog, okay? So Vlad was younger, he was more active and all that. And he, he kind of schooled him. He schooled him, to be completely honest. He, he did the job, you know? He, he come through that test unscathed. Joshua did not come through that test unscathed. It was a life and death fight. I know that um, Tyson Fury sort of said that on social media. Um, you know... We, you got. A, I'm going to switch it around the other way. Joshua was fighting in his backyard as the champion, as the favourite in the betting shops, against a man who's 41, 
and against a man who's coming off of a 17-month layoff. So it was all stacked against Klitschko. Now, the bookies are not silly. They're very, very clever. They're very, very smart. No one can say that a win from a favourite is better or bigger than a win from an underdog. That's the open and shut of it. You know, Klitschko, as much as I like Fury, let me just let me just say it, because if people think that I'm too much, you know, Team Fury or whatever, I had money on Klitschko to knock Fury out when they fought. That's me being brutally honest, and I lost money on that. And I was so happy to lose money, because I absolutely love Fury. And he did the job. But he was the underdog. It was all against him. And he won. He pulled off the win. He rocked up the whole division. Joshua hasn't rocked up the whole division here. He's done what many, including the bookmakers, who really are the people that really know their stuff. They had him as a big favourite. And they got it right. So that's not... There's been no shocking stuff. And it was a life and death fight. Joshua tasted the canvas for the first time in his career. And there's an argument, Ayaz, as well, that Joshua could have been stopped in that sixth round. You know, he, he really could have been. I think the referee was very close to jumping in. I think... Um, you know, I'm going to talk about the knockdown. He caught Vlad with a great shot, put him down in round five. Vladimir got straight back up to his feet. He took a few seconds, got straight back up to his feet. When he got back up, it was quite scary to see how quickly he recovered. He was, his feet were completely all right. His legs were not shaking at all. They were strong. You know, he got on the bike a little bit. He was very clever. And while he was doing that, Joshua, the very inexperienced young lion, was, you know, trying to jump all over him. Absolutely shot his load all over the place. Had nothing left at all in the end. In the end, few seconds of the fifth, when he come out in the sixth, he, um, you know, when he come out in the sixth, obviously he still was very tired. That is when Vladimir hurt him. And when he went down, you know, he, he thought about it as well. Then he got back up, and I give him credit for that. I, I really do. And then when he went on the ropes, and Vlad was unloading on him. He dropped his gloves out of exhaustion and was taking shots. And I think that Vlad maybe not... You know, Vlad's very clever. He didn't want to rush in and, and shoot his load. He wanted to, you know, give pressure, but educated pressure at the right time. And I think he was a little bit too patient. I think that was the problem there. He could have got him out of there if he really went for it. I really do believe that. And and some referees would have waved it off, by the way, at that stage. I think we cannot forget that. Vladimir done unbelievably well you know he's he can hang his head high he's he's gave Joshua a brilliant fight we didn't well I didn't know for sure about the rematch clause before the fight I think maybe Vladimir revealed it at the press conference or something but I didn't really know until fight week that there was a rematch clause in the contract for both men and would I like to see a rematch um yeah, I think I, I think I would, but the only thing is, this rematch, if it does happen, needs to happen as soon as possible, you know, because the longer we leave it, Vladimir is getting older, he's getting more inactive now, Joshua is still learning on the trade, and he'll tell you that, he's getting better and better all the time, so to let this go on, to let this wait another 9 or 8 or, or 10 months or whatever... In that time, Joshua's still learning his trade. He's going to learn so much from that fight there, whereas Vladimir won't really learn much from that fight. So if the rematch happens, it's got to happen soon. Otherwise, you know, he really doesn't have 
much of a chance, Vladimir. But I just want to say credit to both men. It was a great fight, as I said. I give Joshua a lot of credit. I give Vladimir at 41 and a 17-month layoff a hell of a lot of credit. But I tell you what, I also give Tyson Fury a bit of credit because they both come up against Vladimir. They were big tests. And Tyson Fury went through it unscathed. Joshua didn't. And it was all in favour of Joshua going into that fight. But, hey, I've, I've spoke about it all week. I've been talking about it to everyone. I've probably missed out a few points here. But I hope I made a decent point for those listeners. And, um... That just about wraps up part one. We've spoke a lot about the fight there. We've... Um, you know, not much really went on last weekend. We've gone through it as much as we could, especially the main event. 90,000 people in Wembley. What a seriously, seriously massive event. It's fantastic that the UK can bring crowds like that. Credit again to Eddie Hearn and Matram for putting on the show. Even though it only had five fights on the bill, it did the job. Um, that's it for the review, and we're now going to bring in guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man that had a very busy weekend last week amongst the 90,000 fans at Wembley. It's, of course, the trainer of Vladimir Klitschko, Mr. Jonathan Banks. Jonathan, once again, welcome to the show. Hey, man. It's always good to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's always a pleasure having you on, my friend. So, firstly, John, you've been in Germany, obviously, in front of 50-odd thousand fans in Vladimir's corner. This time you were in the UK with 90,000 fans looking on. Was it a lot different to Germany in terms of atmosphere? Listen, man, i tell you this, and this is there's nowhere to sugarcoat it. Every time I've been to the UK, um, I did a couple fights at the O2 World. It was awesome. But to be in Wembley, 90,000, another 10,000 outside, and 90,000 on the inside, amazing. Atmosphere, amazing. That night of Saturday, um, on the 29th of April, I believe made England one of the biggest household names in the sport of boxing right now. Because nobody else can do that. You know, there's no other, like, the English fans just come out so aggressive, so strong. To me, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful night. Yeah, it certainly was a huge, huge event, not just a boxing match, of course. Um, I want to ask you this, Jonathan. Um, was it nerve-wracking for you walking out there? Because I've got to be honest, my heart was racing, my hands were shaking before they'd even walked to the ring, you know? Like, just the <laughs> anticipation of the main event... You know, I couldn't keep still. It was, it, I was really nervous. How did it feel for you? And if you know how Vladimir felt, how did it feel for Vladimir as well, walking out there? For me personally, it was normal. It didn't, it didn't have no effect on me. I, um, my demeanor. If anyone who knows me, my demeanor is always the same. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't phase me whether it's one thousand or or ninety thousand. And um, as you see, the walkout, everyone was around Vladimir walking so close and far with him, I was actually behind. <laughs> I was behind the whole crowd, you know, because I was just regular. I was just, I'm just, this is just me. I just walk regularly normally to the ring. And, um, you know, everybody just sat outside the ring. I had to say, excuse me, excuse me. Then I walked into the ring. So um, for me, yeah, it, it was normal, me personally, because it, it, I was enjoying every second of that beautiful atmosphere. And as you say that, you you know, you're, you're, your demeanor didn't change. It didn't really matter how many people were in there. Did you feel that you were walking into a hostile environment or does that not even come into your head when you're walking out in such a big fight like that? In boxing, at some point, you have to accept the fact that um, you're going to have people with you, you're going to have people against you. 
You know, so once you accept that, and I accepted, I accepted that way back in '96. <laughs> you know, so it didn't, it doesn't matter who's with me, who against me. You get a lot of people, you get a lot of fighters who do great things in the sport, and you still get a lot of people in the media say negative things about them. So you can't do nothing to please people because they're never. It's like people never. Some people will never be satisfied. So me, meaning that in that hostile environment whether it's hostile or not it didn't really um you know it, it didn't really it didn't really phase anyone and um in the beginning yes i think over half of the fans was against vladimir you know but the way he fought at the end of it when he when he when they his name was announced and they said something about him like everybody stood and cheered and clapped for him yeah and he certainly deserves deserves that down to a T. Um, yeah, so I want to talk about the fight, obviously, Jonathan. How do you assess both men's performances? I'll start with Vladimir. How did you assess his performance? Well, um, dealing with Vladimir, um, I believe that, um, and, and I told this, this is no secret, I told Vladimir this in the training camp of the fight. And I told him, I said, I know um, I think Joshua very well. We spoke on thousands of occasions, man. Um, actually, we also spoke again, not only after the fight. The next day after the fight, we um, we spoke via phone. And um, I know the type of guy he is. You know, he he's he's a tough competitor. He's one of the best natural talents you will see. And all what he's doing is just he's just naturally naturally gifted. You know, to do these things. And um, I assessed his performance, and I told him, I said, listen. Um, if you hurt this guy, I said, you have to finish him. Because if you don't, if you let him recover, he would be one of your worst nightmares. That's exactly what I what I told him. And, um, you know, I guess the situation was similar, similar to that. But um, performance-wise, I honestly felt Vladimir, um, I felt he, he performed beautifully. I think he answered a lot of questions. A lot of people don't. The people who don't like Vladimir, they had to give him a hand clap for his performance. You know, if you, if anybody is a true sportsman or the true fan of the sport, I heard a podcast earlier today saying they don't know why the UK clapped for Vladimir, who just got his butt whooped. I, I hate stuff like that because this is boxing. Somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. Well, you got two, two athletes that put their lives online to put on a hell of a performance. You have to give a clap for both. You have to give applause for both fighters, really. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, anyone who who you can't help but like Vladimir, you definitely can't dislike him. Not only um, in that performance right there, which was you know one of the best heavyweight fights many people are saying they've seen in years. You know, it was a brilliant, brilliant fight. But not only that, but everything he's done before that, he is, and we all know it. You know, it's no secret. I'm telling you, you know this more than I do. He's 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 one of the best champions ever in the heavyweight division. So it, re- I can't understand why some people say that. That's that's ridiculous. But. Um, Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll leave that there. That's a different podcast. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but um, your 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 assessment of Joshua's performance, because I got to be honest, for me, it really looked like Vladimir was in control for for most of the fight. It looked like, well, it was clear to see that Vladimir was on the front foot pretty much for the whole fight, which we've never seen Joshua going backwards at all because no one's come at him like that. But Vladimir was applying, you know very clever pressure and you know 
Yeah, I, I'll just throw it down to you. What did you make of Joshua's performance? He obviously performed pretty well, but uh, what did you make of it? I thought Joshua was, um, he, like I said, he, he's a natural talent. He didn't know, he knew exactly what he wanted to do, but he couldn't really do what he wanted to do. And um, and once he got, it's like once he got hit and dropped, he said, okay, I have to change everything. And he made some adjustments and he changed, which was really, really, um, um, as you could tell, it was his intellect doing it more so than somebody telling him he has to change. He's he's a really bright, bright um, and smart guy, really, really bright. And I and I like like I say, I always did like he he's gifted. He, he's a very gifted fighter. But I thought Joshua's performance towards the end was great because he he got the job done. But um, I think if Vladimir would have continued to do as I suggested, then Joshua would have never had a chance to get back into the fight. Did you feel, Jonathan, in your honest opinion, did you feel that you guys were ahead at the time of the stoppage? Um, did I feel that way? No, because um, I judge when I'm in a corner, I judge my fighter hard because I know I know whether we home or not home. You know, um, I know we I know we in the UK. I know Joshua coming in as champion, and um, I know that you know I just don't see Vladimir getting the decision of a close fight. The fight wasn't, the fight is not like it was lopsided. The fight was close. Both fighters tasted the canvas. Both of them had to fight their way out of a round that they both was really hurting. You know, so this this wasn't like it was a one-way one a one-way street. It was a close fight. And the fight would have went 12 rounds. If they called it a draw, you couldn't have had a lot of booze. If they would have called it one way or another, you couldn't have been mad at the fight because what 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 a natural fan wants mm-hmm. It's two guys to go out there and put everything on the line. And both guys did that that night. But Jonathan, without taking into account the fact that the fight's in the UK and you may end up with a bit of a hometown decision, did you feel at that point in your own head, did you feel that you were winning the fight? I've got to be honest, I thought that you guys were winning the fight at the time of the stoppage. Well, I, I thought it was I thought the fight was close. Okay. I honestly I felt the fight was close. Because um because uh, in two rounds, it wasn't a lot of action. And I think the first three rounds, I don't think Vladimir opened up m- much in, in in round two and three. But what he didn't do round two and three, he made up for in six and seven and maybe even eight, you know, because Joshua wasn't doing that much. So I felt the fight was, I, in my opinion, the way I'm judging which fight's landing and punches landing and what's not landing, um, I thought the fight was kind of. I thought the fight was really close. Yeah, I agree. I think I probably had it. Um, you know, with Vladimir probably just by a point at, at the at the point of the stoppage. Obviously, not um, not not scoring anything for that round eleven. I believe Tony Bellew. Tony Bellew. He was obviously. You know, he was with Sky. He's actually been. Um, he's actually been under a little bit of scrutiny before for giving scorecards are a little bit in favour of the home fighter, but he actually had Vladimir up by one point as well, which I think said a lot. But the judge, obviously, uh, Don Treller, I believe it was, he had the scorecard 96-93 in favour of Joshua at the time of the stoppage, which I just cannot understand. And I went and looked back at that, and I, I, I wanted to find out how that's possible. So what that would mean 
is that let's just, to, to make it easy, let's just say that Vladimir knocked Joshua down in the first round, then Joshua knocked Vladimir down in the second round. Those are both 10-8s either way. He must right. have then scored a 10-10 round at some point, and then from there, that's three rounds down, for the next uh, the next seven rounds, because we did, obviously, 10 rounds were scored, he gave, I think it was Joshua 5 and Vladimir 2, which I just cannot understand. I think that's a yeah, bit of a crazy um... one. Um, yeah, it is what it is. That was that was pretty bad. Do you think, Jonathan, that Vladimir's eighteen month layoff played a part in the outcome of the fight? You know what? Had he won, I would tell you no. That's what I honestly that's my honest opinion. I would tell you no. Because he lost, and I'm still gonna say the same answer, no. Um I believe it paid the fact I think it played maybe played the part in his activity. You know, an amount of punches he threw per round, but I, I don't think it played the part in. I can't say it had he fought a tune-up fight, then the fight, then he would have had more activity, or he definitely would have won. I'm not, I'm not gonna go on record and say anything like that, because um, Vladimir was fully prepared, in spite of what many people feel about me as, <laughs> as his coach. He was fully prepared. We did everything that we um, that we possibly could to prepare for a victory for that night. And as you seen in his performance, to my my opinion, he performed beautifully that night. Outside of him not being able to uh, come away with the win. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I want to ask you this one now. Uh, this one now, Jonathan. Uh, it's a bit of a you know you got to kind of think about this a little bit. But if Vladimir fought Joshua 18 months ago in November of 2015 in Germany as the champion still with the 11 year unbeaten streak do you feel that he would have beat Joshua then well like that's a difficult one to answer because had you asked me this 18 months or you asked me this two years ago going into the Fury fight I would have told you he would have beat Fury you know had he had a performance against Fury like he did against Joshua, then if this fight wouldn't even went the the rounds that it did. You know that that's one thing you can't even put. I can't even put that in a in a scenario had he did it eleven months ago. You know because um, I think the the out the outcome may or may not be different. It's just difficult to say. It's hard for me to give a, a commit commit to an answer to that. Yeah, I think that goes hand in hand with the question I said before about the 18-month layoff playing a part. You know, you said no, so yeah, I suppose they go together. Um, Now, I've got to ask you this one, Jonathan. I'm sure a lot of people would love to hear your opinion on this, to be honest. Both of our top British heavyweights, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua, have tested themselves against Vladimir. Both have come through that test. If the two versions of both men fought each other, who would win in your opinion? The Tyson Fury that beat Vladimir or the Joshua that beat Vladimir? If they get it on, if somehow they were both able to fight to the same ability that they did, who would you say wins that fight? First, let's go to the assessment of each fight. Um, the Vladimir and Fury and Vladimir and Joshua. Um, the Vladimir and Fury, um, many people would disagree with what I'm about to say, but um, it's not what Fury did to win is what Vladimir didn't do that he lost. So if, if you pay attention to this to that performance, everyone was saying, wow, Vladimir's not doing nothing. He's not throwing any punches until the 12th round. You can't win a fight unless you throw punches. Okay, now let's go to the um, Joshua performance. 
Vladimir did throw punches in this fight. He did drop um, Fury. He got dropped, got back up. They both fought. It's like they both fought to the end, you know. They both fought to one, could just either one couldn't take it no more, or referee felt they had enough. You know, so I think Joshua's performance was more impressive. You know, Fury's performance was very impressive because he did it. He was the first to do it in over a decade. That's what made it so impressive. Not so much that he just beat the crap out of the guy. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that. You know, I, I'm not, and again, I'm not taking another away from T- Tyson Fury. I like Tyson Fury. I, he got my utmost respect. Matter of fact, any fighter who gets in the ring got my utmost respect. But it wasn't that um, Just I'm just assessing the fight. It wasn't that Fury went in and beat the crap out of him and it was nothing else left of him. So it wasn't it wasn't that at all. Obviously, you know, styles make fights comes into it as well. But once again, Jonathan, if those guys were both able to, you know, fight in the same manner, who would you see winning that fight between Joshua and Fury? Oh, man, that's a tough one. You give me that. I'll try not to answer it. That's why I said what I said, because it's, <laughs> it's such a tough one, man. I like both guys. But um, I never, I always tend to side with the gold medalist. So in this case, Joshua's the gold medalist. And I was side with Joshua for this one because um, it's just like throughout history, if you look at it, very rare a heavyweight becomes champion, not being a gold medalist, and usually the gold medalist winners become more of a dominant world champion than the ones that's not. So I think um, I think um, AJ will um, would have won it. Yeah, that that is kind of true, but not in the UK. We had. Um forever didn't we we've had loads of gold medalists and all that and none of them won a world title um, that's normally <laughs> yeah it's, it's crazy James DeGale did it the first and Joshua was obviously the second to, to do it but we've had loads of world champions that were silver medalists or not even in the Olympics it's, it's a funny way it's worked over here um, okay back on to Vladimir Jonathan I just wanted to ask um, what is next for Vladimir I understand that there was a rematch clause in the contract Vladimir may fancy going for the WBO or even the WBC titles or of course retire uh, do you know at this stage if any of those options are more likely or or if you know you know if, if you can rule any of those options out at all at this stage you know I can't rule anything out um, unfortunately um, I did speak to Vladimir today we FaceTimed each other today um, just talking and um, right now everything is so Everything is still emotional right now, you know. Um, emotions don't really calm down to maybe a couple of days after the fight, maybe a week after the fight. So there's no decisions to be made right now because of the situation. Um, so right now, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know of anything right now. And after the Fury fight, it was quite, you know, it was made quite public. Vitali told Vladimir exactly how he felt about it. He seemed a little frustrated with Vladimir. He said that Vladimir was terrible that night. How has he taken this loss, Vitali? Has he been critical towards Vladimir or supportive, if you know? I think, I think a little bit of both, you know, because um, because of the, up and the, the ups and downs in the fight. You know, when Vladimir hit the canvas, everybody... Like you got ninety thousand, you probably had eighty. You probably had eighty nine thousand nine hundred people thought the fight was over in that arena that night. 
You know, they thought it was over when he hit the canvas because they haven't seen him hit the canvas in a long time. And they thought it was over. And um, the way he got back up and rallied back, I think it showed, he showed all the heart. He showed more heart in that fight. One guy told me he showed more heart. He showed more heart and ability in that fight than he did in the last decade. But going back to your question of was Vitaly critical of him, I think Vitaly always critical of his little brother. You know, and he and he want the best for his little brother. So I I, I mean you, I can't help but to think that maybe he was. I, I haven't heard anything he said to him. You know, I haven't I haven't so I haven't heard anything to say whether he he was critical or wasn't critical um towards him. Okay, fair enough. And the final two questions now for you, Jonathan. Uh, the USB stick, it came as a bit of a surprise when when he pulled it out. It was like, a, you know, it was like a bit of a prop. It could have been perceived a little bit as some kind of mind games. I'm not telling you to tell us what is on it, but have you got any any clue what's on it yourself? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, it wasn't a mind game. He's doing it for awareness for sick children. He, he's finding a way to um to continue to support and donate to to the to the children and youth foundation because he's doing a lot uh, for children not only in the Ukraine and not only in Africa but throughout the world his charity does a lot for youth for sports and education and that's really what it was all about was sports and education and um the USB stick was just um was was something that he decided to put into it to add more, see if he can add more value to the cause. It's all, at the end of the day, it's all about the cause for helping out the unfortunate children for sports and education. That's really what it's all about. That's been his desire for many years, and he's been working on it for many years. He helped build schools. He helped do so many things for um, unfortunate children that don't have the luxuries that everybody else takes for granted. You know, So um, that's, that's really what that was all about. Yeah, Vladimir should be commended for that. Him and Vitaly, you know, they've done they've done a lot over the years. Um, I just had this feeling, uh, Jonathan, that when he said that the prediction was on it, I just had this this image in my head that you were strapped up with a video camera and he behind the oh. camera and he was in front of it. <laughs> no, it was nothing like that. He did that. He he did it actually in privately with the, actually to himself, and um, that that's really how how that happened. But he he said. He needed, or he wanted to find a way to um to continue to raise money and awareness for these different projects for the children, and that's really what it's all about yeah, for him. Of course, of course. Okay, so uh, last question now, Jonathan. Really, you're back in the U.S. at the moment. Um, what's next for you in in the coming weeks or so, JB? Well, this this uh, Saturday, I leave to go to Spain to train pound for pound woman's queen of boxing to say your breakfast. Um, the only undisputed champion we have in the sport today. And um, that's that's my next, um, she fight July 9th in um, Bergen, Norway, her hometown in Norway. And um, that's, that's what's next for me. Excellent stuff. And we wish her all the best as well. Okay, listen, Jonathan, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for once again making time for us and please send my support to Vladimir. Thank you. I will, man. I appreciate you reaching out. It's always a pleasure, man. Anytime. 
Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the preview part. But as I said at the top of the show, we're going to go into two little segments. One being the news and two being the current crop of heavyweights at the top of the heavyweight division. So, Ayaz, first, I'm going to bring you in with this week's news. Luis Ortiz has predicted a knockout win over Anthony Joshua within eight rounds if he is confirmed as the next challenger for the British world champion. Yeah, um, I think I'm going to tie the Joshua and the you know the heavyweight little segment I just spoke about. I think we're going to tie that in with the news here. Um, obviously, Luis Ortiz wants that fight. Luis Ortiz, nobody quite knows how old he really is. He's listed at a certain age. No one believes that's his real age. No one is quite sure how old he is. So, you know, if that fight happens soon, I suppose the sooner the better, really. Once again, I say the same thing as I did about the Klitschko fight. Joshua's getting better all the time. Luis Ortiz and Klitschko, I think, you know, are kind of at the end of their careers now. Or not the end of their careers but at the end of their tether I think they're they're not getting any fitter they're not getting any younger and I don't think they're really learning much at this point in their careers you know many people didn't really think or we we had another question answered about Anthony Joshua on that fight last Saturday we didn't know if he could go past round seven we didn't know if he could you know go on to those later rounds he did really well he got to 11 of course he did have a couple of second wins maybe even a third win but he did do it. I just don't think he can do it at a pace that, you know, a really active, quick, fit heavyweight, young heavyweight as well, could do it at. So, you know, you may laugh or whatever, but Vladimir Klitschko, he's not as active as what he was. He was very good on his feet, and he was also the man pressing the fight as well. I forgot to add that in there. He was the man going forward. He had... You know, he had Joshua on the back foot the whole time, as I mentioned to to Jonathan Banks there. But, um, you know, for me, I think that Anthony Joshua can probably go, go, you know, go 11, 12 rounds. But it's with that kind of opponent. Vladimir, you know, he's not as active. He doesn't throw as many shots as some of the younger guys like Joseph Parker would throw. Or, to make it interesting, Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury, you know, the way he would box he you know at at that fast pace for 12 whole rounds that is a thing could Joshua deal with that I'm not too sure but um yeah could 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 Luis Ortiz maybe get him out of there inside eight well I suppose we'd have to wait and see we we seen Joshua take on a, a, a southpaw in Charles Martin and he didn't have any problems with him whatsoever but Luis Ortiz is a whole different ball game so it'd be an interesting fight but yeah, that's a great fight, Ayaz. Um, that is a great fight. I'd like to see that. What I was basically going to say is, I think, and I think you agree with me as well, Ayaz. If 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 I'm wrong, then jump in. Um, first and foremost, I'd put Tyson Fury as the number one heavyweight in the world, but obviously he's not been active. So for now, I'm going to take him out of the rankings. Um, would you Would you agree with that? Is that Is that right? Are you with me on that? Yes, I agree with you with that because Tyson Fury has been inactive since that uh, impressive win over Vladimir Klitschko in November 2015. Yeah, and obviously, you know, I'm not sure what's going on. He's got a hearing in June and whatever, but, um, you know, as as the old saying goes, to be the man, you've got to beat the man. He beat Vladimir Klitschko. I'm sick of saying that. Um, he did it. He became the man. He took all the belts and all that, and he hasn't lost since. He's had some things out of the ring. That's another story. So I'm going to put him to the side for a minute. If he comes back, he's number one. Okay. Um, so yeah, put him, putting him to the side. You've got to put, you've got to put Anthony Joshua as the number one heavyweight in the world for me. I think that 
I think that that is what it is now. And I'd probably say um, Vladimir Klitschko's maybe number two. Um, I think what we can do, Ayaz, is probably give our top five heavyweights in the world, um, you know, not including Fury. I'm going to give my... Well, you give your top five first. I'll give mine after. With Anthony Joshua. Yeah, so he'd be number one, yeah. Yep. Vladimir Klitschko. Number two, yeah. Deontay Wilder. Number three, yeah. Povetkin. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the one that people forget. Yeah, that's four. Yep. And number five. I mean, you've got. I can throw a few names. If I you will want. go with if it has to be. In my opinion, number five has to be Luis Ortiz. I would say Joseph Parker, but we haven't really seen much of him. This I'll go number five has to be Luis Ortiz. Yeah, I mean, I. I pretty much sort of agree with you. I'd definitely put Anthony Joshua number one. Um, I'd put I put Vladimir Klitschko number two. I'd put Deontay Wilder number three. Um, my four and five is out of Povetkin, Pulev, and Luis Ortiz. I think we've got to remember Pulev in there. Um, but no, it's you know the, the the few guys at the top. Who would you want to see Joshua fight next? Eyes. Who do you think? Who do you think has got a chance of beating Joshua? Right now, I don't think. Well, I don't know. The Vladimir fights obviously happened. If that does happen again, which I'm not sure it will, you know, Vladimir gets older. It might be a different fight next time round. So put that aside. Who would you say has got a good chance? Because before Saturday night, I would have said that Joshua and and Deontay Wilder is a 50-50 fight. Now I say it's probably a 60-40 in favour of Joshua. Remember, Wilder can just put you out with any punch at any given time, even if he's losing every single second of the fight. Um, yeah, for me, I think Deontay Wilder, I'd like to see him fight Joshua. I'd like to see the Luis Ortiz fight, though I don't think that will happen. I think Pulev is now the mandatory as well for that fight. I think they've got to fight him next. Oh, it's an interest. Povetkin as well. Who would you want to see Joshua fight next, Ayaz, if it was up to you? Klitschko, Povetkin, Pulev, Wilder, Ortiz, or Parker? I'll tell you who I'll go with. 100% no joke. It would be Deontay Wilder. Because I'll tell you what, that is the most interesting fight. It's like, who lands first? Now, we've seen Wilder. Wilder needs a big name fight. He has not fought anyone very decent. Who Who's his last three opponents? Johan Duapas, he's for Gerald Washington. Yep. And Arthur Spilker. Arthur, Arthur Spilker. Um, the Spilker. Oh, no, sorry, the Duapas fight was actually four fights ago. He fought Chris Ariola. Yeah, that sorry. Was a, that was a fast, that fight. Yeah, you've, Chris got, yeah you've got to be honest. I mean, you, you know, he's fought these guys, eyes, but I will say he was losing the, the Washington fight. He was, he was losing the Spilker fight, in my opinion. And Ariola, well, I'm not even sure why he was there. He sneaked into the top 15 on fight week. It was dreadful. That, that, was, yep. that was a terrible fight. Now, now, here comes the part, right? He's knocking them out. But the thing is, he's losing the fight on points. Now, Wilder, in my opinion, and Joshua will be the most perfect fight. Because, first of all, it's a 50-50 fight. And whoever lands first wins the fight. I reckon I would love to see Joshua with that fight. However, that fight is not going to happen next. Because why? I reckon... I tell you who I reckon Joshua, in my opinion, will fight next. I reckon it will be Pulev. Well, it's a funny situation because the Sauerlands this week were saying that Pulev is the mandatory no matter what. They have to fight, you know, the winner has to defend against him next. But there's a rematch clause. 
Now, if you remember, Ayaz, the whole reason the IBF title was vacated, well, not vacated, but stripped by Tyson Fury, and then Joshua ended up with it, which a lot of people like to forget, is because there was a mandatory in place, which was Glaskov, and he was... You know, Fury had to defend against Glaskov, but he was already tied up in a rematch clause with Vladimir Klitschko. So, I don't know if Eddie Hearn's men or whatever, or Eddie Hearn himself, are, are, are a bit a bit more clever, a bit smarter, a bit more shrewd than Mick Hennessy and his team. But I don't think that the IBF or the WBA. I'm not sure which mandatory. It is. I think it's the WBA. I think that's. I think Pulev is actually the mandatory for the WBA. Um, I don't think that they're going to strip him if he decides to Man- fight Klitschko next. Sorry, oh, dude. he's mandatory for the IBF. Okay, well that makes it even more interesting. I thought it was WBA. Are the IBF going to strip him now if he rematches Klitschko? Because they should do. Because that's the way he, he. You know, that's the way he won that title. He won it because it was stripped to Tyson Fury because he had a. You know, he was tied up with a rematch clause with Klitschko. Charles Martin fought. Um, Glaskov for it because Glaskov was number one ranked guy and and Charles Martin was number two. Glaskov was winning the fight. He, he, he you know he dislocates his knee. Charles Martin you know wins the fight because Glaskov can't carry on, so he wins by knockout even though he was losing. He comes to England, defends it, and loses in two rounds. And that is the story of how Joshua became champion. So they should they should strip him. They really should. If they're going to, you know, you can't have rules for one and rules for other. Just because Eddie Hearn's got a good relationship with the IBF, I do not want to see them showing some favouritism. That is the last thing we need. That really is. So um, it's an interesting situation, the whole thing there. And I'm glad that we've done this little segment. We, you know, we've we've talked on some, some valuable points, I think, um, in the heavyweight division, the politics, the top contenders, who we want to see Joshua fight next. And I think, yeah, I agree with you, guys. I think that um, the Deontay Wilder fight is a great fight. Both men... I don't want to say relatively untested. I think Joshua has come through it now. I think he's the man to beat right now. I think he's he's come through a test, even though Vladimir's seen better days. Which again, some people were saying he's the worst thing ever. He, you know, he's going to get blown out in two rounds. He's an old man overnight. He lost to Fury. He didn't look himself. He's terrible. He's shot. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's the best Vladimir in years. Oh, it's, it makes me sick. It really does. But you can't pick and choose. It's one or the other. Um... Yeah, so so yeah, I'd, I think he's come through that test, Joshua. I think he's the man to beat. Um, I think Deontay Wilder is is a great fight for him. Deontay Wilder had double the fights. He's had thirty eight fights. Joshua now nineteen and zero with nineteen knockouts. Uh, Wilder, I think he's thirty eight and zero with thirty seven knockouts. Uh, he's obviously fought a long list of of bums, to be completely honest. But still, both men, you know, they've only had really one proper fight. Joshua's had the better fight. Um, yeah, I think it's a good fight. I think it's a good fight. When when Deontay Wilder boxes, he's actually really effective, but he just relies on that punch too much, which he's landed on all but one person. And the one guy he didn't land it on, which was Stavern, he, he you know he scored him. He, he showed us a boxing lesson, which we've never seen him do, and we've never seen it since, by the way. But um, I don't think his form's been too great lately. I think he's been relying too much on that big right hand, which every time gets him out of danger. So I think it's a brilliant, brilliant fight. Any more to add on this little heavyweight segment, Ayaz, or should we move on to the previewing? Move on to the previewing. Okay, mate. Right, on to the previewing now. This is time to preview the fights this weekend, so there's not too much going on. We're going to start with a card 
in Russia. One fight to mention on this bill, former featherweight world champion Evgeny Gradovich. His record at the moment, 22-2 and with one draw. He defends his WBA Intercontinental Super Bantamweight title against Hugo Berrio, who has a record of 23-6. and I don't really know too much about him. He's also got one draw. That's a 12-rounder uh, at Super Bantamweight. That's it for Russia. Moving over now to the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. One fight to mention on this bill, in all honesty, Yuri Orkis Gamboa, former world champion. He's back in a 10-rounder at lightweight. His record, 26-1. and He takes on Robinson... Castellanos, who has a record of 23-12. and 12. Gamboa back active, that's what we want to see. Um, moving over now to New Zealand, we were supposed to see the Furies out there. It was supposed to be Huey Fury challenging for the world title, but it's now a man called Razvan Kojanu, who has a record of 16-2. and two. It's not overly impressive, but they didn't have much time to still um, stay you know, in line with the already proposed date which was the 6th of May this Saturday Joseph Parker 22 and 2 putting his WBO world heavyweight title on the line we wish him all the very best he's a great guy um John Parker also on the bill that's his brother Umar Salamov's on this bill as well his record 18 and 0 he takes on Emil Markic who has a record of 24 and 1 that's a 10 rounder at light heavyweight for the vacant WBO international title that's it for New Zealand moving over now to Poland one fight to mention on this bill Adam Bowski 8 and 0 prospect at cruiserweight he's in an 8 rounder against Rickards Bolotniks who has a record of 10 and 3 with one draw Adam Bowski should probably get the job done there in good fashion Adam Bowski's actually a man we're going to be, you know, we, he, we're going to know a lot about him in the coming years. He's a great talent. That's it for Poland. Moving over now to the final bill. This is a fantastic bill. It's live on Box Nation, I believe, from 2 a.m. this Saturday night or Sunday morning, to be more precise. Um, we're going to start with the undercard. David Lemieux, former world champion, 37 and 3. Boy, can he bang. He's in there against Marcos Reyes, 35 and 4. That should be a good fight. I actually think Lemieux is very underrated. I think that many people believe, really, he relies on his power a little bit too much. But for me, I think he can box as well when he tries to. We saw Golovkin give him a lot of respect. And I think that his last fight, when Lemieux went out there and, and knocked out Curtis Stevens in great fashion I think he, he you know he really performed uh, that night there obviously that being just last month or well we're now in May so it was two months ago but a good win there and he's out against Marco Reyes Marco Reyes has only been stopped once and that was very early on in his career I think maybe about 10 fights or so into his professional career he's also took on Julio Cesar Chavez Jr to which he lost on points over 10 rounds. So we should bear that in mind, because that man, of course, is in the main event on this bill. Uh, moving up the undercard, Lucas Matisse. He's in a 10-rounder at welterweight. I'm not sure it's his best weight. His record at the moment, 37-4. and Boy, can he bang as well. He takes on former opponent of Adrian Broner, Emmanuel Taylor. Emmanuel Taylor, really a guy who... You know, let's 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 not mince our words. He's in there to lose the fight. He's in there probably to be stopped. But I think it's you know it's a, a bit of a tough fight coming back to. Emmanuel Taylor can box as well. Um, he's a very underrated boxer. He's never been stopped as well. And we know that you know the power puncher is is Lucas Matisse. 
Emmanuel Taylor, I suppose, can bang a little bit himself. But he's gone the distance and lost to Adrian Broner. Chris Algieri got a decent win over Karim Mayfield in 2014. But that's a great fight. And Lucas Matisse, as I say, I'm not too sure he should be at 147. But he's coming off of a long layoff, Lucas Matisse. He's been out the ring for over 18 months when he got KO'd in round 10 against Victor Postel for the WBC World Super Lightweight title down at 140. Um, you know, when he heard something in his eye go snap, which was all a bit mad. We thought we thought he quit. We weren't too sure about his credibility. That was one of the first fights we covered on the podcast back in 2015 there. Moving up the undercard once again, the very talented young prospect Joseph Diaz. His record 23 and 0. He's in a 10 rounder against Manuel Avila, who has a record of 22 and 0. So both men with a combined record of 45 and 0. Somebody's O's got to go. I'm backing Joseph Diaz. He's a great, great fighter. He's definitely a danger at featherweight. Um, you know, the the man can can fight and land a variation of shots going backwards, which is very, very rare. Um, he's very talented, Joseph Diaz. You know, he's a he's a pleasure to watch and definitely one I'm going to be tuning in to see with a keen eye and the main event at a catch weight of 164.5 pounds it's a very extraordinary one it's up at super middleweight I suppose because it's above the 160 limit and it's under the 168 limit so you know it it kind of is a a super middleweight clash but it is also a catch weight there's no titles on the line but it's a huge huge fight you know not just for the united states but in mexico it is literally every single mexican is going to be at a tv watching this fight saul canelo alvarez 48 and 1 with one draw takes on the son of a legend, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., 50 wins, two losses, and one draw. Both men, combined wins, 98 wins between them. That is crazy for two modern-day fighters. Both very much got a lot left you know, in terms of their careers in the sport as well. Both men, three losses combined and two draws. Obviously, Canelo is in there as, you know, the young guy. He's got, he's got the youth on his size Obviously, the you know the one time he didn't look so great was against Lara. He didn't look overly great against Lara, and obviously he was scored by Floyd Mayweather. That was a long time ago. Canelo's looked very destructive in recent times, getting rid of many many opponents lately. Um, you know he's he's a fantastic fighter. He's obviously the man on the up, so to speak, and he takes on, as I say, an absolute you know an absolute megastar in. Mexico, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. He's been knocked previously for not taking the sport seriously, but he's he looks to be in monster monster shape. You know, he really really does. Obviously, he picked up a loss in 2015 in April against Fonfara, and that was you know a fight where he really didn't look good at all. He was completely losing every round against Fonfara, who was you know a little bit average to be completely honest since then he hasn't looked overly great he took on Marcos Reyes he won that fight it was a little bit close as well Marcos Reyes as I said he's actually on the undercard he takes on David Lemieux as I just mentioned and then he took on Dominic Bridge which I didn't know too much about but he took him on in his you know in his native of Mexico so yeah, Bridge was a fight where he pretty much won the fight every round. I think it was 9-1 to one, um, in terms of rounds. It was a 10-rounder. And now he's in there against Canelo Alvarez. And as I said, Canelo coming off of a bit of a streak since the Floyd Mayweather fight. He's 
you know, he's knocked out Amir Khan, he's knocked out Liam Smith, he's knocked out Angulo, very close fight with Lara, um, he knocked out Kirkland, and a unanimous decision win over Miguel Cotto, so... What a fight this is going to be, Ayaz. Um, I don't think there's much more to go over in terms of breaking it down. You can give a breakdown if you want. You can see, you know, you can give your point or whatever. But we're definitely going to go to the predictions on this one, Ayaz. Um, Julio Cesar Chavez, he's been knocked out the one time. He was stopped in that fight against Fonfara. Canelo never been stopped. Do you see a knockout in this fight at all? Any other thoughts on this fight? Just go. Um, this is the Battle of Mexico, basically. Let's see. Viva la Mexico. Cinco de Mayo, baby. Yes, I'd say so, right? Um, this fight is not going to be a knockout. Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. being trained by a legendary trainer, which is former Marquez's trainer, Nacho Beriston. And I'll tell you something, this tra- his training is very good. But if I'm going to go for a uh, win, I'm going to go for Canelo win on points. And can- with, that win- with Canelo's win, that's going to take him to a Golovkin fight in September. Oh, well, that would be absolutely brilliant. That is a real, you know, that would be great. Hopefully it does go to plan like that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree. I think that Canelo is going to win by stoppage, I as. Um, I'm not sure what the prediction league is. I think it's, it's your job to keep that. But, oh, gosh, you don't remember what it was, do you? We really need to get on top of this. I think it was 5-4 to me. So uh, this could level it up. We've, write that down as 5-4 to me so uh, we don't forget again. We need to really be predicting more fights, make it a little bit more exciting. But yeah, I think I think Canelo's going to probably get the job done um, in that fight, to be completely honest. I think he's going to get the job done. I think he's going to get rid of him. Um, Julio Cesar Chavez... You know the size is with him, isn't it? You know he looks he looks really big compared to, to compared to Canelo. But Canelo, in his recent few fights, has shown us quite a lot of speed as well. I think he really, really came on leaps and bounds since losing to Mayweather. I think he's looked a whole different fighter. And even though, you know, I'm I'm going to go against the grain. Even though uh, Chavez Jr. has got a great chin, I think he might just get stopped. I don't know if he's going to quit or anything like that, but I think he just may get stopped. I'm going to go against you there just to make it interesting anyway, but what a fight. And the whole card's great. As I say, there's four fights on that build that I'm looking forward to. The Lemieux fight, the Matisse fight, the Diaz fight, and of course the Canelo and Chavez fight. So it's a great fight for the UK. It's a great fight for everywhere in the world, especially Mexico, as we touched on. That's it for the previewing. That's it from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's been another episode of the Box Hard Podcast. We've done all the talking. We've done the reviewing. We did the first interview. We did the previewing. We also did the little segment, which I hope you enjoyed, the heavyweight division. We were discussing what's the latest, what's going on there, a little piece on the news that we did as well. And just before we wrap up the show, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to bring in guest number two. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man simply known as The Savage. It's, of course, Mr. Sam Eggington. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me again, pal. Hey, it's always my pleasure, my friend. Now, Sam, you're fighting next weekend on the Cal Yafai undercard in Birmingham. We'll get on to that in a moment. But firstly, let's go back to your last fight. Uh, we spoke to you, I believe it was probably fight week, sometime just before that fight. A lot of people yeah. doubted you going in. Uh, it was a tough fight to call, but me and you both said that the timing was perfect for you. We really felt that. Boy, oh boy, did you do a job on Paulie Malinaji. Were you impressed <laughs> with that performance, Sam? How do you react to that? Um... Yeah, I mean, it was it was a good. Performance. I definitely thought it was a, you know it was a decent performance for for the for the for the opponent I was going against. I mean, you know he's tricky. He's he's, he's you know he's well seasoned and 
you know, I understand that he wasn't the best time in his career, but you know, he had all the he had all the um, all the ingredients to beat me, um, and I thought I avoided a lot of a lot of his stuff and 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 got the win, a good win. Yeah, you certainly did. Um, there was a moment in that fight, Sam, where you kind of put your gloves down and let Paulie <laughs> tee off on you. Um, <laughs> there's no easy way to ask you this, but why on earth did you do that, Sam? Do you know what? He, he caught me with a good one-two. Um, it was a one-two, and it was a nice one-two. I mean, the, the the jab was, you know, weren't really even a shot, but the right hand come through nice and heavy and on the point, and it caught me nice. And then, so I topped up. I thought... I'm standing there and I'm taking a few shots and this is where he started whirling away and I thought to myself, you know, if I was a riff and, and, and someone just got caught with, you know, with a, a solid one-two and was just standing there tucked up, I think about jumping in because I, I don't know if he's hurt or what. So I'm thinking, do I stay tucked up or do I try and shot at this point? I'm, I'm okay now. I'm, I'm, you know, I've shook it off. Or do I try and show the riff somehow? <laughs> That I'm, I've took a good shot well I am okay um, and that's what I went with um, and it looked daft but do you know what I honestly thought you know after that one two and the ref seeing it I thought the ref was going to jump in so I just had to try and prove to the ref that in some some I mean I probably could have proved it a bit better you know I might <laughs> just move my feet would probably be been easier but um, <laughs> just um, just show the ref that I was fine um, and that's the method I went with. You know, it was daft, but you know, luckily enough, the fight weren't stopped, um, and you know, it, it, it all ended well. Yeah, no, it made for great viewing anyway. I will say that. Um, also, Sam, you know, a lot of people kind of say that Paulie. I mean, you know, he decided to retire two days later, but he, you know, but a lot of people say that he's not. He's not a big puncher. We pretty much know that looking at it on paper. Is he actually yeah. a bigger puncher than people make him out to be? He's very when he wants to hit you hard and correct, he will. But a lot of a lot of the time, it's it's you know it's it's what he does, and it's it's in and he's out and he's skillful. And, but he can definitely sit down and 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 throw a big shot. I mean, like I say, he caught me with that one too, and it was a nice one too, mate. I mean, the right hand really did catch me. But anyone at that anyone at that level, you know, they've got to have some sort of you know. I know he's not the biggest. You know, we ain't got the best stoppage record, but you know, at that level, at world level, you've got to be able to hit correct, and you know, he definitely, he definitely can do that. Yeah, and ultimately, you got rid of him in uh, round eight with a brutal body shot. On to the next one, your next fight, as I mentioned there, next weekend at the Barclay Card Arena in Birmingham, your hometown. You're taking on yep. Seferino Rodriguez. Um, what do you know about him, Sam, aside from him obviously being the European champion? One thing I didn't actually know was that he's promoted by uh, the former middleweight world champion, Sergio Martinez. Sergio Martinez, yeah. Um, honestly, mate, I don't watch him. I don't I don't watch opponents. Um, I go off what the coach is telling me because, you know, everyone looks great on the internet and, you know... <laughs> Yeah, uh, some people might get a lot off watching the videos, and you know they might see what they do good and do bad. And but with me, mate, I just see everything. Everything they do is is good, so it don't help me out. You know, I just go from I just go off the coach's methods, and you know we'll go from from like the last time from round to round. Yeah, fair enough. A lot of people, a lot of people, kind of do the same thing as you. There, um, a lot of people I speak to say the same sort of stuff. Now, Sam, we all know that uh, you know the way your 
boxing career started, walking into the gym looking for a way to earn some some money, even if it meant you were going to be a journeyman. Now you're looking at fighting for the European title. This will be your sixth title that you've boxed for. Do you feel that you've overachieved on what you were originally set out to do, Sam? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I overachieved when I won the Midlands. Um, because the fact is, I didn't want to. You know, I weren't bothered about winning or losing. So, getting the, getting the Midlands title was was a huge title for me. Look, funny enough, it was a. I think it was three years ago, yesterday. So, um, yeah, it was. It, everything's an overachievement, mate. I never, I never, I never take myself for granted. I mean. I know I'm not meant to be where I'm at. It's just all hard work, so just carry on. And what is the plan now, Sam? You keep winning these fights when people doubt your capabilities. If I'm not mistaken, you're currently ranked at number 12 with the WBC. Uh, if you win this European title, in your honest opinion, do you feel that you'll need a couple of defences of that title before being ready to move on to perhaps world level? Or do you feel ready for world level even sooner than that? Nah, I think there's been talks about a few defences. Hopefully, we'll get one in before the end of the year. Maybe two, depending on how they go. But um, we'll definitely need a few defences. But, you know, come the new year, mate, I'm taking all comers. I mean, um, I'm not here to sit about I mean, I've, I've, I think I've proved that. You know, I take every fight they offer me. And, you know, it's, it's gone fine from, the, from up until now. So, you know, don't don't... Don't fix what something that's not broken. So, you know, if they offer me a fight, someone brings it up, big fight. Whether it's on this side of the pond or not, I'm, I'm taking it. And we spoke about the Brook and Spence fight when we, when you were last on the show, but now it's officially on. I don't think it it had been officially announced at that point. Sam, do you secretly have one eye on that fight? I suppose. I mean, if Carl Brook wins, I think it's more more doable. I think you know. I think it's probably a bit more. You know, I think it's more likely to come off if Calvert wins, you know. So, you know, being the same promoters and stuff. But um, I suppose so. I mean, you know, I, I, there's only one step after the European. And if someone offered me a world title for when, when they win the European, I'm going to take it no matter what champion it is. So, you know, I suppose, yeah. yeah I, I, have, I have my eyes on all the, all, all them, all the world title fights from now on, from, from, from now on mate, to be fair. And Sam, the three champions that are out there at 147, you know, world champions, you've got uh, Kel Brook, you've got Furman, who just unified with uh, with, with yeah. Garcia, and obviously you've got Manny Pacquiao. It's, yeah. it's, it's a very talented three, we know that. Who would you say out of those three guys is the more beatable guy at this point? Honestly, mate, they're all... It's a tough one. It, mate, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you can't really put um, pick one if I'm honest. I mean... It's all it, it's a it's a tough division, mate. Um, I mean, David Aranyasan just lost the WBA regular to um, Lamont Peterson. I think I, I I'd be looking at that one quite close if if when I win the European. I think that's one I, I I'd be happy to take. Yeah. Um, the others, I think I knew a bit too much. I think it might be a bit a bit soon but like I say if any of them offered me the fight I would take it in a heartbeat yeah yeah for sure I don't doubt that at all um, this weekend you, you may or may not be interested in it you can you can say your opinion if if, if you've got one Canelo and Chavez Jr you got any interest in that in terms of a fan perspective um, yeah I, I love Canelo honestly I mean the way he boxes and stuff I think 
you know, he, he's, he's, you know, he's unbelievable. But um, Chavez is a massive, massive middleweight. But you know, I think I think Canelo comes out. I think he might stuff him later. On. Yeah, I've actually I said that earlier on in the show. I think that he's gonna probably win that fight by stoppage, which would be a huge. Yeah. Um, Sam, I'm guessing you probably watched the uh, the huge fight last weekend, Joshua Klitschko. Any reaction to that? Yeah. I mean, I know some people are having a go, and most people are giving him credit, but you know, I can't see how you can you can have a pop at him really. You know, Klitschko, he's a quality quality operator I mean he's he only shows how long he's been at the top but you know and Joshua went down but it's heavyweight boxing if you don't go down at some point and you know I suppose you know he's bound to happen so you know I think I don't think you can put much into um, heavyweight to be knocked down because you know they're all 16, 17, 18 so someone's going down at some point so you know and he got back up from a big heavy knockdown that right hand caught him at the top of the head and it was was solid, um, and he got back up, regrouped after a few rounds, and, and got the stoppage. So, I think he he looked quality doing it. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. It was a good win for him, of course. He uh, definitely, you know, comes through the first real test by well, yeah, don't want to say flying colours, but you know, he got the job done by hook or by crook. Um, and Sam, yeah. finally, just before I let you go, I just wanted to really give you an opportunity to send out a message to any of your fans that may be listening, any of your supporters, any of your sponsors, anything like that in particular. I just want to say a massive thanks. The sport's been great for this one. Tickets just flew out. Um, social media has gone wild. Um, and of course, every sponsor, you know, they all, I've just, funny enough, I've just given my share on social media, you went, um, they know who they are. Um, and I just want to say a huge thank you to them all. Absolutely. Well said. Okay, listen, Sam, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for talking to us just after a training session. I know you're very, very tired and all that. Best of luck for next weekend, <laughs> and we'll catch up sometime Cheers, afterwards, mate. my friend. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, that wraps up the 81st edition of the Box Hard Podcast. On this week's show, we've talked about the latest news, the current crop of heavyweights, Joshua's battle with Dr. Steelhammer in front of a packed-out Wembley Arena. We've given our thoughts on the battle of Mexico between Canelo and Chavez and much more. It's been a blast, in my honest opinion. I'd like to thank our two guests, the very honest former British champion Sam Eggington and the very modest Jonathan Banks. That Jonathan Banks interview was golden. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I, as Summer, has done his part two. We'll be back next week, as per usual. Thanks for listening, and take care.